same mental illness and all of a sudden people start talking about it as if it's somehow different than other illnesses and it's not it's not now granted it does predominantly have to do with feelings or behaviors and emotions but you know a lot of these other illnesses do as well it's just that we tend to uh, not recognize that as much Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses here, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. This podcast is a spinoff of my blog, BrittanyAMoses.com, where I talk about the intersection of faith and mental health and how that applies to our everyday lives. You're listening to episode nine. On today's episode, I got to have an insightful discussion with my friend, Dr. Matthew Stanford, on a clinical and biblical approach to mental illness. Dr. Stanford is CEO of the Hope and Healing Center and Institute in Houston, Texas, an adjunct professor of psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine and the Houston Methodist Hospital Institute for Academic Medicine. A fellow of the Association for Psychological Science, he is the author of over 100 peer-reviewed journal articles in psychology, psychiatry, and neuroscience. And his research on the interplay between psychology and issues of faith has been featured in such national publications as the New York Times, USA Today, and Christianity Today, as well as many news websites, including Fox, MSNBC, Yahoo, and US News and World Report. We got to expound on important and highly requested topics such as medication, dynamics of spiritual warfare, living with a diagnosis, and how all of that interplays with the biblical perspective. You'll want to catch all of this episode. So let's dive in. All right, welcome guys back to the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast. I am so honored to have today's guest with us today. Today I have Dr. Matthew Stanford. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I have to say this. I'm so grateful for how this has come together because uh, like I mentioned to you, I, I had just so happened to have read your book around last year and even how I came across it, I believe it came up as like a recommendation on Amazon. I had read another book and it said something like people who read this book like this book too, or you, you kind of filtered into the recommendations. And I was like, Hmm, let me check this out. And it was your book, Grace for the Afflicted and, uh, got to following on social media and seeing some of the work that you're doing there. So I am so honored to have you on the podcast today and let others know a little bit more about the work that you've been doing. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And you're in Houston. You're over in Houston, Texas. Uh, And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led to the current work that you're doing? Uh, Yeah, um, I am the CEO of the Hope and Healing Center and Institute in Houston, Texas, and I have been since uh, January of 2015. Uh, Prior to that, I uh, was at uh, Baylor University in Waco, Texas, uh, for 12 years as a professor of psychology and neuroscience, and uh, at the University of New Orleans for 10 years before that, uh, before I moved to Baylor. Uh, My training is in uh, behavioral neuroscience, and uh, particularly in uh, actually aggression and impulse control issues. Mm So I, uh, um, you know, how I came to be involved in doing... uh, mental health and faith and and really being involved in a full-time mental health ministry Mm -hmm. uh, is, is really kind of a circuitous route. I mean, I was a, you know, mostly been a researcher my entire career, 
But I, uh, you know, being a person of faith myself and, you know, being in faith communities, uh, you know, for different services or classes or groups and, and, and having friends that were in faith communities, they, they knew that I was involved in mental health and they yeah. would often pull me aside to ask me questions as most people in mental health uh, are by, you know, people they know or people right. they are acquainted with, uh, asking questions about their own mental health issues or about the children's. Uh, and oftentimes those questions were deeply spiritual or had some spiritual context to them. Uh, and many of the questions really started to bother me because they were, you know, questions along the lines of, well, you know, the pastor said that, you know, my bipolar disorder is a sin or, you know, or mm-hmm. this is the result of weak faith or I should, you know, really think twice about taking psychiatric medication, that that shows a lack of trust in God's healing ability. And so, you know, these types of things are people that just kind of generally had very naive ideas that maybe the, you know, their child's mental illness was a result of their bad parenting or someone at church had told them that. And so over time, it really started to bother me more and more, particularly when some uh, a close friend of mine was was kind of communicated with that way by a pastor that we mutually knew. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I thought, you know, as most academics, you know, I, I had no I had no intention on at that th- at that time thinking about getting involved in this. I, you know, I was a researcher. I was studying aggression and impulse control issues and, and doing quite well at that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll write a book one day. And uh, that's what academics do. We all think we'll write a book and change right. the world. <laughs> so, um, so I started throwing things into folders and, you know, research type things. And, um, and then when I had a chance to, and that, in that, over time began to kind of grow this kind of interest. And when I had a chance to move from the University of New Orleans to Baylor University, I knew that I would also have a chance uh, to develop a second uh, research lab looking at psychology and issues of faith. Because I actually had come across a statistic that people in psychological distress are more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a mental health care provider or physician, which is a a bizarre statistic because there's no other medical condition like that. But our mental health care system in the U.S. is such a mess that uh, people, you know, they know they can go see a clergy. They know that there's no stigma. They know it doesn't cost anything. So they go there first. And uh, I thought, well, it'll be interesting to do research around what happens when those people go. You know, what are they told? You know, and then I was also interested in this whole idea that, you know, people were saying that mental health problems were more a spiritual issue. Uh, and why were they saying that about those, but not saying that about, say, cancer or diabetes? And so that's kind of how I began down that path. And I did write that book, and I wrote a couple more. And uh, and that's ultimately led me uh, to be now in a full-time uh, position where I run a faith-based mental health care center and a research institute and, uh, and really kind of work to help faith communities be more involved in mental health care. I, I love that. I mean, I hate all of the confusion and the the lack of care in the system, but I love that you've 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 been tackling this and everything that you're saying is just for me, it's speaking directly to my heart because I hear these same questions all the time, which is why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation on the podcast because I'm learning that there aren't many spaces for this conversation or that understand how to holistically have this conversation. So I hope that everything that's shared today will help bring some understanding to those who are listening. 
Um, and along the lines of everything that you're saying, you know, many seem to have a hard time understanding how much of mental health challenges are spiritual and how much of it is marked by a physical or physiological disorder. And so what would you say to help bridge their understanding of this? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a, it's a, a fairly complicated question because I think what we've done is in the in the church, big C church, mm-hmm. uh, we really have kind of no theology of the body. We we think of ourselves as kind of spirits trapped inside of a jar, and you know, one day that's going to die, and we'll just kind of float off into heaven. And the reality is, that's really not how the scriptures talk about us. I mean, they talk about us in a very complex way that we are we're material and immaterial, that we have a, a, you know, a kind of a spiritual aspect to us, that we have a mind, that, that we have a body. I mean, if you look at something like Luke 2.52, where it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, I mean, there's kind of four aspects of the person. And I think what we tend to do is we tend to, in the church, we kind of say, well, we do spiritual stuff and we'll let the world worry about the physical stuff. But the reality is God made us physical and right. he made us spiritual. And so they are equi- equally important to him. Uh, and, you know, if you look at, you know, you look at Revelation, I mean, we get our body back. I mean, our, our body may die uh, and, 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 a, and a spiritual aspect of us may live on, but, but we get that body back. I mean, Jesus is the firstborn uh, from the, you know, firstborn from the dead, the resurrected. We get our body back just like he got his body back. And so, we have to remember that you know these parts that God's made are equivalently important to Him. So, no matter what the illness is, or the disease state, or the disorder, we're affected at all levels. We have to think of them holistically. So, instead of just saying, you know, how do we, how should we perceive mental illness? I mean, I should, I would say, how should we even just perceive illness? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when a person is struggling with cancer. Does it affect them physically? Absolutely. Does it affect them mentally? Absolutely. Does it affect them relationally? Uh, Which is, you know, I think there's kind of four aspects, body, mind, spirit, and relationships. Well, does it affect them relationally? Absolutely it does. And does it affect them spiritually? Of course. And so we have to think of people holistically like that. And, uh, you know, that's how God thinks of, you know, when Jesus says, when he, in Mark, where he quotes Deuteronomy, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit. You know, he, goes, he describes an a, a entity or a person that is physical and non-physical. That's your whole being. You know, and then love your neighbor as yourself. They're your relationships. That's part of who you are. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we look at mental illness, we have to first and foremost not treat it differently than we would treat another illness. Because the person that we're dealing with is suffering. They're in distress. And we want to do whatever we can to minimize that suffering and show them the love of God. So, you know, your brain, you know, I could, I could talk for an hour just on mm-hmm. your brain being an organ and right. like that. And, you know, we don't really seem to have this concern about things like Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease or any number of horrible uh, degenerative disorders of the brain, right. uh, even if a person has a tumor and their behavior changes or personality changes, we understand that it's the tumor that's causing that. But, you know, say mental illness, and all of a sudden people start talking about it as if it's somehow different than other illnesses. And it's not. It's not. Now, granted, it does 
predominantly have to do with feelings or behaviors and emotions. But, you know, a lot of these other illnesses do as well. It's just that we tend to uh, not recognize that as much. So if you look at something like diabetes, Mm -hmm. we have, you know, it's a chronic condition like most mental illnesses are. We know, you know, where the, what organ is disordered. It's the pancreas. We do not understand why or how it is disordered and we can manage the symptoms. But no one ever says to somebody with diabetes, well, you know, I think this is more spiritual than physical and we need to, you know, you need to just pray more, read the Bible more. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Right. We, we encourage someone to go to an endocrinologist and get care. Uh, we may pray for healing for them. We may offer them support and comfort from within our church body, but we treat it very differently. And I think that's what we have to do first and foremost, we have to decide that these things are all the same and they affect us at all levels. So every illness has a spiritual component and the church has a role to play, not just from the spiritual aspect of a person's being, but every aspect of their being. You're right. It's just like the mind has been this existential thing for so long. Like it exists apart from our body and our physiology when it's like, no, I mean, you've done the, you've done the neuroscience and teaching and with, in, in your education. And it's like mental health is equally brain health. And I love that you've, that you've laid that out, you know, something that seems to offset many in the church is the use of medication for mental health treatment. And I know that you mentioned that earlier. And so what, what are your thoughts and experience with this? I know you talked a bit about this in a, in a good section of your book. And I'd love it if you could share more of your thoughts on that here. Yeah, I think, you know, this is one of those kind of baby in the out with the bathwater kind of uh, issues because, you know, first and foremost, we have to recognize that there is tremendous overprescribing of psychiatric medications. Right. Uh, there's just no doubt about that. I mean, the, that's what the data shows. Uh, the majority of people who receive psychiatric medication receive them from their general practitioner. Uh, and so, you know, they are readily available and, and prescribed. You know, it's also, you know, being honest, you have to admit that a lot of people that since there's overprescribing, a lot of people that are taking those medications are not, do not necessarily have the disorder that they're taking those medicines for. So Mm -hmm. just because you're taking antidepressants does not mean you have depression. Uh, Also, we have to admit that you can take a medication, not have the disorder you're being treated for, and that medication benefits you. You know, you could take a a medication for ADHD, for instance, and it could increase your attention, even if you don't have that attention deficit issue. Right. Those are those are just facts that I say there. Now, just because those things are all true does not mean, as some have told me, psychiatric uh, psychiatric disorders are not real. Right. Uh, or, or that people shouldn't really take medication; they don't really need them. If you have a psychiatric disorder, uh, and it is severe enough uh, that medication is necessary for you to be able to function, then you should take medication if you can. Um, You know, again, many of these are chronic conditions and they can be managed, uh, but no one ever says, you know, to the, again, to the diabetic, which is a chronic condition, or the person with with heart disease, which is a chronic condition, well, you know, I just don't think you should take that medicine. You know, you should really 
just try harder to make insulin out of your pancreas. Mm. I mean, it, it's at, it's at that same kind of level uh, to tell somebody, well, you should just be able to control your your depressive thoughts just on your own. Just don't worry about medication. Now, there are plenty of of disorders that can be treated with therapy, talking therapy. Um, you know, depression can be, depending on the severity. Uh, anxiety disorders, many disorders can be treated with therapy, but things like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, I mean, those are full-blown brain disorders. They they can't be treated just with a, a talking therapeutic intervention. In fact, you know, talking therapy has little benefit for people with schizophrenia other than social skills training. So medication, when used appropriately and for an appropriate disorder, is an incredible uh, you know, kind of gracious gift that God has given us, much like with other uh, disorders in which we use medications. But we do have to be careful. I mean, I would never, I would never want a child to be on medication unless they had had a full assessment and they fully met criteria for the illness. I would always want anybody that was taking medication to be able to take the minimum necessary dosage to control or manage their mm-hmm. symptoms. I would always want to use medication as a single tool in a tool belt of, of care in which the person was receiving other types of, of treatment so that, again, you can minimize the amount of medication that's being used and potentially the person might be able to use, you, you'll get off medication at some point if you had something like depression or anxiety. So so you need to be able to to do a good job with medication. I think, unfortunately, right now, a lot of medications prescribed very sloppily Right. Uh, and and then there's not a lot of follow up people. You know, I encounter people all the time through the Hope and Healing Center that have been taking medication for years and have only seen their doctor a few times over those years because the medications just called in. And when asked, well, you know, how long you've been taking this? You know, a year and a half. Uh, well, how were you before I was this way? Well, uh, have you seen any benefit? No. Well, who who takes medication for a year and a half and with no benefit? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's that doesn't exist in other medical. I mean, imagine if you had an infection on your arm, the doctor gave you antibiotics, and you know he just said, "Well, just keep taking those." I mean, you know, I, I would hope that well before a year and a half, you would find another physician. So, so I think we need to we need to hold you know psychiatrists and psychologists to the same standard we would other physicians. I also think we need to go to specialists like psychiatrists and psychologists when we're dealing with mental health issues and not rely solely on our primary care physician. They're a great start, but you wouldn't want your primary care physician treating you for cancer. But they're the place you started right. to find out that you needed to go to an oncologist. So I think that's kind of a long answer to say medication is wonderful when used appropriately. But let's make sure it's used appropriately. And let's not look at the bad things that have happened, like overprescribing, and just assume that means medication isn't useful for us when we're dealing with mental health issues. Right. Wow. You've sparked so many thoughts <laughs> and questions in my head. Um, you know, because what you're saying is what I'm also hearing is that there is a general maybe lack of trust when it comes to the handling of medication, of this whole idea of just prescribe a pill and kind of let's see if it goes away. And so for those who are who are currently on medication, just encouraging to that you do have, you know, some you do have some right over your process to be checking in 
with whoever your psychiatrist is or, uh, you know, physician is or clinician is if it's not working? I tell you know, good psychiatric care is, you know, a psychiatrist that's, that's meeting with you, that's available to answer questions, that spends time with you when you go in, that, um, you know, doesn't dismiss your questions, that has some outcome measure that they, they can tell you when you say, okay, why am I taking this medication? Okay, mm-hmm. you're taking it to minimize these symptoms. Well, how are you going to assess whether I'm getting better? Right. You know, and, and do you believe I'll have to take this forever? What is your long, you know, what do you expect me to, you know, how long will I be taking this? If somebody says, well, the only way I'm going to assess that you're getting better is you're just self-report back to me that you're getting better or not. You need to find another psychiatrist. Mm. And so, you know, and if you go to a psychiatrist for six months and you, you don't find any benefit in anything that they've done, I would suggest you get a second opinion and try something else. That's not to say they were doing a bad job. It's just that they're not able, they weren't able to get a handle on this. I mean, six months is long enough to wait before you should see some improvement. Uh, And I mean, noticeable improvement, something that can be measured, not just, yeah, I guess I feel better. Mm. I mean, that's, that's not good enough. And that's, that's not good enough for any other level of medical care. It's not good enough for psychiatry either. And so, so I think we have, I think one of the things that's happened with kind of the medicalization of mental health issues is this kind of an unrealistic expectation uh, that the general public has, which is that, you know, you go to the doctor, they give you a pill and you get better. And again, the reality is these are chronic conditions. They can be managed. Some of them can be effectively treated to the point that they basically aren't an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. But we can say the exact same thing about diabetes. And so you are always diabetic, you know, if you have, if you have, uh, I guess, type 1 diabetes. It doesn't just go away, but it can be managed to the point that it's really not even an issue. And so, uh, you know, we have to kind of look at it that way. I have never in all of my career ever seen anyone take medication. That's all they did. And everything was perfectly fine after that. So you need, uh, you know, we know that research shows us that medication and, and talking therapy together work better than either one alone. Mm-hmm. Most illnesses, when you get talking therapy in addition to medication, you tend to recover more quickly. You also tend to take less medication. Uh, you also will have the potential, maybe depending on the illness that you have, to be able to wean yourself or have your physician wean you down or even off of the medication, depending on, again, what type of illness it is. So think of, you know, all the treatments that exist, support groups, uh, education, medication, psychotherapy, just a, a whole set of, of uh, tools in the tool belt in treating mental health problems. And we need to engage as many of those as we possibly can so that we can have a, a very broad based approach to care. And so the person can recover to their fullest. And I love the practicality that you're bringing to this and everything that you're saying, because you're right. If it were any other physical illness and we were continuously infected and it was getting worse over time, we would alert our doctor or schedule an appointment or say something. But because mental health is not something you can see, you know, with your eyes, like blood, you don't see yourself bleeding. <laughs> um, it gets ignored. And along with the whole mix up between 
how much is spiritual and how much is physical. Something else that gets brought up a lot in a conversation, and I've heard this a few times, some are wondering if it's just a spiritual attack or if treatment should be sought. I get that a lot. Like how much how, do, how much of it is possibly demonic or you've probably heard a lot. It, someone needs to be delivered. And obviously these can be harmful and hurtful to someone who really needs help. But we see in scripture these kind of demonic cases. And so it's obvious that there are principalities and, and rulers and authorities who are coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, but finding the balance with that because... We don't want to miss the mark either when someone is in true need of healing. No, and, and you know, that is a very common question that people of faith ask. I think, again, the, and it's a very complicated question. Yeah. The, I think, again, we have to get back to making sure we're consistent. And that is that, you know, I, I don't have people asking you know, what cancers are demonic and which ones aren't. Right. You know, and, you know, how can you tell if diabetes is demonic or not? I mean, you know, if we're, it, it's only mental illness in which you see this. I mean, I doubt that you could find another, you could find a, another medical condition, which there's a large subset of Christians that are uh, suggesting that it's demonic. So, you know, th- that's one thing. So let's not treat this illness differently than another. But then for those of us who believe in demons, I believe in demons. And so, um, you know, what do the scriptures say about the demons? I think, unfortunately, most most of what most Christians know about the, or what quote unquote think they know about the demonic, they did not learn from the Bible. They learned from movies or like Frank Peretti novels or, right. you know, they, they there's not a lot of detail uh, in the Bible about you know, exactly what demons do and how much they can do and what they're like and if there's different kinds and all those kind of specificity that we like to, we want and like to talk about really doesn't exist. I mean, you know, certainly there is a, a an evil one, Satan, the adversary, mm-hmm. that's out to thwart the purposes of people of God. Uh, and there are fallen angels. And those are what we think of as demons. Uh, you know, and then there's some, there's some examples of what they can do. They can, apparently they can make you sick. You know, I mean, you've got Job, he gets sick. You know, there's other examples of that in the scriptures. They can, uh, Satan can tempt you. There's obviously examples of that. Uh, you know, there are some different things. And there are a few examples of what we think of as possession, where the right. evil spirit takes over somebody. Although that only happens a couple of times in the scriptures. It's more the exception than the rule. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that being said, well, let's look at the broader scheme. I mean, there are examples of the demonic causing a person to be crippled. So every person that's crippled, do you look at them and go, oh, that's a demon? Uh, there are examples, I mean, Job had boils. Well, you know, if, if you've ever had a boil, was that a demon? And the answer is no. Right. The answer, and so, is it possible that your boil could be a demon? Yeah, I guess, because Job had boils and it was caused by Satan, right? Um, and Job didn't seem to know if it was demonic. He just kind of knew he was sick and that he didn't think God was listening to him. So I think, you know, what we have to do is we have to kind of be, we have to be smart about this. And what I find most of the time is 
we're not smart about it. We, mm. we want to jump to conclusions. And so number one, um, you know, Jesus could always tell if somebody was sick by an evil spirit or if they were organically, you know, just organically ill just because they're and there's clearly the Bible differentiates between the two. The disciples could pick it out sometimes. They didn't always get it right. Um, and I would say, you know, I'll just say for myself, 2,000 years later, I don't think I have the spiritual sensitivity to determine if somebody's cancer is caused by the, the demonic or somebody's cancer is caused by organic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say is that, you know, at churches I've been to, you know, we pray for healing for those people because the Bible calls us to do that. And, right. and I believe in healing. And, and why would we not pray against the demonic? They're a believer in Christ. And we know that the demonic are out to, to thwart the people of Christ. And so, you know, absolutely pray against the demonic and also pursue, uh, you know, treatment in the natural that God has provided through to us through his providence, his physicians and medications, all good things come from him. And so, you know, there's multiple levels of spiritual and physical healing and, and, uh, and wholeness that we're doing there. And I don't know that we would do anything different for someone with cancer or diabetes or a mental illness. So, I mean, that's how I kind of look at it. I think the, you know, I've had people tell me they're sensitive enough to, tell the difference between someone who has say schizophrenia that's a demon and schizophrenia that's not but when i ask that and this is no this isn't i'm not just making this up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when i ask that same person to tell me the difference between somebody's you know diabetes that's demonic and diabetes that's not or cancer they suddenly don't want to have a conversation anymore and so you know that's just not even consistent theology. I mean, let's just be, let's, let's at least be consistent right. and say, you know what, I'm not sensitive enough to pick it up, but I know that, you know, in, in Christ's name, you know, Jesus has authority over the demonic. So if I pray for this person, if I pray against the demonic for this individual and they are instantaneously delivered and their, their illness does not exist anymore, then I can very, be very confident that that was the demonic. But if I pray against the demonic and they're not instantaneously delivered, well, then I've got one of two possibilities. Either that was not the demonic or Jesus is not, uh, does not have authority over the demonic. And I think it's the former rather than the latter. I think that clearly Jesus has authority over the demonic. He's demonstrated that in the scriptures. Uh, and I think that uh, what I'm looking at is something that is organic. And I'll continue to pray against mm-hmm. the demonic, just like I think all believers should pray for each other against the demonic. But if I treat somebody with medication and therapy and they get better, well, then I don't think that the, that was the demonic. So I think it's a kind of, again, a complicated answer, but it's all about being consistent. And I think really at the core of it, it's all about showing people grace and realizing that we are in a broken world and suffering is what we should expect the vast majority of the world suffers on a daily basis i mean physically suffers we know that we you know are spiritually engaged in a war so but physically we are in a broken world and so we should expect 
disease. We should expect disorder. We should expect physical death. And, you know, and when we don't have that every day, then that's just the grace of God. But the fact that people get sick is because we live in a broken world. So absolutely, there's a demonic aspect to it because it's a broken world because of sin. But not mental illness is no more demonic than any other illness. Thank you so much for breaking that down. And I think you're right. I think as a church, we're so quick to jump to assumptions sometimes uh, when we don't fully understand something or like we're just so quick to go to extremes. It's either this or that. It's black or white. But you're kind of saying, you know, we need to take care of it all. We need to take care of it holistically or as I would say, Pray on the way to the doctor, you know. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Luke was a physician. I mean, you probably would never want him to treat you because of the, some probably horrific treatments of the day. Right. But the thing is, is that there's certainly no, you know, nothing negative about, and I'm sure Luke was a practicing physician. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those are those are things that are provided by God. You know, the, the, the inquisitiveness to search out, you know, the creation and understand how it works, medications. I mean, those, those, these are all good things. There's lots of physical remedies that are used in the Bible. So I think, again, it's just a consistency. I think generally, just as human beings, we want to fix. Mm-hmm. That's our bend. And I think when it comes to mental illness, there is so much stigma yeah. associated with mental illness and really fear. Uh, because we have been conditioned and not, you know, really we've been conditioned through the ages, but we right. certainly have been conditioned by our, um, by our media, uh, that, uh, you know, everyone that's mentally ill is, uh, dangerous right. and, they're, and they're to be feared. Uh, and so, you know, when you have somebody that, so really a lot of times this, this kind of response that we have, this kind of fix it response really is a fear response. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to tell you how to fix yourself. And in a sense, if you do it, then you'll be all better. If you don't do it, if you don't do it, then you, uh, you're just a bad person. And that really kind of, that kind of fits the bill. I understand why you're like you are. Uh, and so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because mm-hmm. people that are ill, they'll do anything they can not to be ill. So if you tell them to pray, you know, 23 out of 24 hours a day, they'll do it. Right. But it doesn't make their bipolar disorder go away. Right. Then the person who told them that says, well, I guess you just don't have enough faith. Yes. And that's the hurtful part is that it does drive a wedge between people in God and people in their faith, you know, because of these situations. And I've easily seen where somebody is struggling with something deeply and more dynamic. You know, they come to church, they're prayed for, and they keep, you know, being prayed for or delivered, but they're consistently coming back with the reoccurring issues and the reoccurring events. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about addressing all dynamics and encouraging those who might feel like there's something more going on with them to not be afraid or ashamed to seek out more help and the healing that you need. And in saying that, what would you say is the best way we as a church can help those living with a diagnosis? Well, I think, you know, I think you have to start with the fact that People in psychological distress are more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a physician 
uh, or a mental health care provider, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is a, an unbelievable statistic. And, mm-hmm. and we just cannot ignore that. I mean, that is a divine opportunity like no other. There's no other condition medical condition, which people are more likely to go to a church before they go to a physician. Uh, and so, you know, we, we simply can't ignore that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think, you know, so we have this incredible opportunity. They're coming to us first. So I think, you know, God is calling us to be prepared. I think we need to be prepared. And, you know, I think I've always said, I think there are four things that the church brings to the table that the secular mental health system doesn't really have. One is a holistic uh, understanding of the self, which is the what I talked about earlier, where you, we see ourselves as more than the physical. I think probably the most important is a hope that transcends circumstances. You know, we have, you know, for the Christian, hope is a person, Jesus, and it's un- he's unchanging and uh, he's in control. And, and this is a hope you can rely on and, 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 and found your life in regardless of how things are going, whether ill or not or whatever. Uh, accessibility, I think, is another thing the church adds. There's a church on every corner. Right. Most towns. And then finally, uh, you know, a therapeutic uh, healing community. I mean, that's what a church is. Uh, and, you know, it's already set up to walk along with people for the long term, for the duration. Uh, and so I think those things are just incredible uh, opportunities that the church has. And so you know, I think that you just start a conversation. You you let you let those in your church know that um, this is a safe place to talk about your problems, including mental health problems. Uh, the way you do that is you you know when you have calls to prayer, you you say overtly, "Hey, if you have a, a mental health issue or an emotional health issue, hey, come forward. We'd love to pray for you." Mm-hmm. Not in a a weird kind of like this is different than me praying for your you know broken leg or bad liver, but in a you know, hey, yeah, we're going to pray for healing and we're going to pray against the demonic, but we do that for everything, you know, and you're no different. You're welcome here, you know. Um, another thing is to, you know, have some sermons or testimonies around mental health issues. Make it a normal part of the discussion of the church. Offer some support groups at the church uh, that are just part of the spiritual life of the church where people know they can receive some level of service right there at the church. They can get care specialized for their mental health problem right there. A majority of AAs in the United States meet at churches. Mm. You know, it's easy to get organizations to have a support group uh, at your church. And, and that's an evangelistic opportunity because people that are not uh, going to your church are going to go to those uh, support groups and they're going to start to realize that, hey, this is a safe place for me to, uh, to be. So I might come and check this place out on Sunday. Mm. And so there's a, you know, there's a real opportunity there. And I think, you know, also just teach your congregation, uh, if you're a pastor, just teach them to, uh, to be people of grace that, you know, they feel compassion first, uh, and they want to relieve suffering, uh, and out of relieving that suffering, they want to reveal Christ, regardless of what the issue is. They want to, they want to be people of grace. They want to show they, they want to feel compassion first, like Jesus did, mm-hmm. before they feel fear or self-righteousness to try to fix somebody. They just want to care for people. I'm so glad that you're saying all this and just about how the church is really on the front lines. Research has shown for over 20 years that when they're in psychological distress, they'll go to the church. 
believe it or not, the National Institutes of Health found that. So, I mean, you're not even looking at a, you know, you're not looking at a faith-based organization here. You're not looking at a Christian organization. I mean, I don't know if you're going to get mm. more secular than that. Right. Uh, and that's what they found. And they know that. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, they know that people are more, now they don't exactly know how to use that effectively. Although mm. they are, have, you know, I actually leave tomorrow to go to Washington for a meeting, a second meeting of a, of a group within the government to try to figure some of that out. But, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is just, this is just a fact, you know, I've had pastors tell me, oh, no one ever comes talks to me about mental health issues. Well, what that tells me is, you know, they don't feel like this is a safe place. Right. And they are coming in. They just don't recognize that they have a mental health issue. They have a, you know, they lost another job or they spend too much money or they aren't getting along with their spouse or some symptom has mm-hmm. let them in to talk to you. Uh, but they don't necessarily know what's going on. You know, the guy who has depression he may not even know he has depression. Right. I mean, you may know he has depression, but he may not know that. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of times when you first start that on that journey, that mental health journey, I don't think you necessarily realize what's going on. Yeah. Particularly people that have, you know, on the extreme end of like psychosis and things like that, they, they a lot of times don't even fully recognize that they're ill. Yes. Just that whole first step of recognition can be missing. And so to add to that, that it would be good for, you know, clergy and church leaders to even just get a basic knowledge around mental health kind of 101 symptoms. So we have a program called Gateway to Hope. We do training with faith communities to kind of equip them to be able to to better minister to people with these issues. But it's not an issue of, you know, us coming in and saying, Hey, let us help you set up a mental health ministry. This mm-hmm. isn't something you're setting up so that you can draw people in. They're already there. <laughs> right. They're already in your church and they're already coming to you, coming to your church from outside to look for assistance as well. Now, you know, again, if you're saying that, well, nobody ever comes and talks to me about these things, either you're completely missing it, which I've seen that mm-hmm. that happens. Or your church is not a place where people feel comfortable talking about their real issues, uh, which I've also seen, unfortunately, a lot. You're kind of the, you know, put on the mask kind of church. Uh, You know, both of those are very bad things because I'm telling you, they're already in your church and they're already coming to your church, uh, you know, for assistance. And secondly, you know, if you're if they're not talking about mental health issues, they're probably not talking about a lot of issues. So, you know, we, we have to be transparent with one another we have to make a safe place where people can really be real uh and mental health is a huge theology changer mm-hmm. it makes people really understand what grace is because these are chronic conditions um you know families are involved families are destroyed by mental health issues uh you know this is a chance for the church to really step up and and really show the the uh, culture that we are relevant, you know, not the gospel is always relevant, but the church becomes irrelevant. Oftentimes we -hmm. get caught up in our traditions and our this and that. And, uh, you know, not, I mean, the gospel is the gospel, you know, whether you're going to the Methodist church or going to the Presbyterian church, it's the same gospel, but the, the bells and whistles around it may be very different. But the reality is this is something that's destroying our culture, our society. Mm -hmm. Mental health is a huge crisis. Uh, the numbers are unbelievable. Uh, the majority of people in the United States with mental health problems receive no treatment. 
which again is an unbelievable statistic. Yeah. I mean, that's like a third world country kind of thing. You know, I mean, if I said that majority of people with, you know, heart disease in, you know, India never receive any treatment. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. A majority of people with serious health problems in the United States, mental illness, receive zero treatment. Uh, that is unbelievable. And so the church has a chance to step in uh, and really make an impact here in a way that I don't think we've ever done before uh, on a kind of a secular, quote unquote, secular issue, because I don't think it's secular. It's everything spiritual, but but, a, right. but an issue that's not looked at as something the church would necessarily be able to engage. Uh, and, you know, this is one of those things where God has just teed it up for us and all we got to do is swing. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, I mean, while a conversation has certainly begun over the last 10 years, I mean, we're way behind the eight ball on this. I mean, we should be just leading this. Uh, and, you know, I'm still having to, you know, convince people that this is something that we need to be involved in. Amen. And that is why I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> uh, because that's absolutely what is being preached on on this podcast. And so grateful and appreciative of the work you're doing at the Hope and Healing Center. I would love it if you could tell us more about any upcoming work that you have going, that you're doing, and the best way for listeners to stay in contact with your endeavors. Yeah, um, um, I, I guess... I will be speaking at the, as I always do, at the American Association of Christian Counselor uh, meeting in um, uh, September, uh, September, October. So in that in that time frame this year, uh, I have a new book coming out later this year called Grace for the Children, which is a book on uh, children's disorders in children, mental illness in children, adolescents, and, and a faith connection there. Whereas Grace for the Afflicted, which you mentioned which came out in 2017, the revised is mostly adult disorders. And this will be just children's disorders for parents, for pastors, uh, for churches on how they can they can serve those children and their families. And to really stay in touch with us and really to see a lot of the training that we offer, uh, you know, I recommend that your listeners go to the, what we, the uh, mentalhealthgateway.org, mentalhealthgateway.org, which is our website that we've developed to support the faith communities that we uh, are involved with, as well as to help people that are struggling themselves to find care. There's a lot of downloadable resources there. There's a lot of videos there. Uh, We're going to be putting more and more online training there to learn how to run support groups. Uh, You know, you can actually, you know, what you can do the training online and then just download the support group material right off the website's all free. Uh, and also there's a discussion guide there that you could use for a Sunday school class or a Bible study or even a, a support group that goes with Grace for the Afflicted to kind of begin that conversation about faith and mental illness. Wow, that's awesome. Well, I cannot wait. One, I can't wait to read your new book. Uh, that sounds awesome. Can't wait to get started on that later this year. Uh, and two, just check out some more of the resources that you've had. I've only been able to kind of skim over the work, but I did not know you guys had all of those guides and trainings and whatnot within there. So I will definitely be posting the website to the show notes along with any other links that link to you so everyone can get connected with you there. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing 
your background and insights with us. I know that this is going to help clarify some of the big questions and some of the main questions that honestly not everybody can answer. Um, and I feel like you've, you've laid that out so clearly and so gracefully here. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you having me and just, uh, keep up the conversation. Absolutely. You have a great evening. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Be sure to leave a review, comment, or connect with me on social media in the show notes if today's episode has impacted you in any way. I always love hearing from you. Until next time.